we've done for years out here is anytime we get into the uh, resurrection week, we always like to stop, and especially on this Wednesday, really stop and talk about what does it mean for Jesus' death on the cross. We think this is something that is very important because as it comes to talking about this, we have to understand how this is just that step in the process that needs to happen. Sunrise service on Sunday, that's always a lot of fun. You get a chance to get up, there's the breakfast following, there's the fellowship, it's a beautiful day, and you get to enjoy this idea of they showing up at the garden and the tomb is empty. When we get a chance to do the resurrection services on Sunday morning, we'll get a chance to talk about what does that mean that the tomb is empty and how powerful that is, how that has changed history. But for here tonight, before we can get to the tomb being empty, before we can get to that idea of the resurrection, Christ has to first die on the cross. This is probably the closest we get to a very somber, serious. Now, when you look at that idea in the Bible, the New King James Version likes to use this word called being sober. It means being serious. There's a time where you almost stop and you say, okay, Lord, I want to understand the seriousness of this. Why did we have to go through this? Why did Jesus have to? Why did the sky turn dark for three hours? We just sang in one of those songs, the veil being torn, access to the Holy of Holies, all these different things that happened at his death. What does it mean and what does it represent? Why is this important? You have to remember all the way back, first prophecy given in the Bible is found back in Genesis chapter 3. And the first prophecy given in the Bible is about the death of the Messiah. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God said there has to be a plan set up to take care of their sins. And so what you have is you have 4,000 years of Old Testament that leads up to Jesus on the cross, and it's been 2,000 years since then. And 2,000 years later, we still stop to say his death on the cross and that tomb being empty on Sunday morning has completely changed the world. The reason you are here today, the reason that we get a chance to go celebrate, the reason we have eternity in heaven is because he died and then rose again. If Paul says, if Jesus did not rise again, we are the most pitiable people. So because that tomb is empty... We get to celebrate on Sunday. We get to celebrate in our lives and our world is different. But before we can get to the empty tomb, we have to go through his death. Now, we just got done studying the book of Hebrews. And I thought it was interesting to go back and just hit a couple of these verses and take you into Leviticus. I just want to remind you of this. We're going to be in Hebrews 9 and 10. We're going to jump around here a little bit, but it's only going to be in these two chapters. And I hope you can follow along with me. Hebrews 9, verse 22. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Let's just get that point down. Because sin happens, there has to be somebody who takes the penalty for that sin. There has to be. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, what happened? Animals were killed to give them a covering of clothes. That is symbolic of what is going on. See, in the Old Testament, it uses this very unique Hebrew word for covering. Sins were never taken care of. They were just covered. Sins could not be taken care of until Jesus died on the cross. Jesus does not cover my sin. He completely erases it. That's the amazingness of that. So Hebrews is telling us the first thing we see in verse 22. There has to be blood. Somebody has to pay the penalty for sin. If Jesus does not die on the cross for your sins, then you have to take care of your own sins. I have to take care of my sins. And I can't take care of my sins. I can't take care of your sins. Now, I can love you, and I can go to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to cover the sins of the church, and I willfully give myself up for it. God's going to say, well, who's going to cover your sins to cover their sins? I'm a sinful person. I can't take care of that. And so what happens is we have to have the sacrifice that is sinless, and we need that blood. So what we see in verse 22, there has to be blood. That's our first thing that we see. Stay in Hebrews chapter 9, but just back up a few verses to verse 11. 
But Christ came as high priest of good things to come. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Jesus is better than what you see in the Old Testament of that tabernacle. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. That is what we're here to talk about tonight. That is what we're here to celebrate. Jesus' own blood is the sacrifice. Verse 13, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. So if the blood of bulls and goats could cover sin, look at verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself, without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So if God was at least willing to temporarily accept the blood of bulls and goats to cover sin, how much more is God going to accept the sacrifice of Jesus who is perfect? Hebrews 10 now, jump ahead one chapter. Hebrews 10, verse 10. By that will we have been sanctified. Sanctified is just a fancy word that means set apart. You have been set apart through what Christ has done. So, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See, every priest stands ministering daily and offer repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. If you've ever studied out the Old Testament, there is this ritual they went through daily. Daily of the incense, the menorah, the showbread, the sacrifices. And it was this constant activity in the temple and in the tabernacle. But verse 12, but this man, meaning Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. See, note the comparison real quick. Old Testament, constant activity, constant death, constant blood that never would take it away completely, but would just cover it up. Jesus comes and does one sacrifice, one time, sits down. Why is he sitting down? Because his work is done. Remember, The three most important words ever spoken were, it is finished. It's done. So when Jesus said, it is finished, it's completed. It's over. It's done. Sacrifices are done. Now, how does this tie into what we're going to talk about tonight? Stay in chapter 10, but back up just a little bit there to verse 5. Therefore, when he, meaning Jesus, came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. See, Jesus understood, verse 5, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. God's intention was never to have the blood of bulls and goats, all this Leviticus Old Testament law. It was never his intention to say, this is the relationship I want with you. God wanted a deeper, closer relationship with us. So what did he do? He sent his son. See, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure, verse 6. That's almost sacrilegious for a Jew to say. It's to say, Lord, you you didn't want that sacrifice. But if you really read through the Old Testament, this is something repeatedly mentioned. David comes right out in Psalm 51 and says, you don't want the blood of bulls and goats. You want my heart. That's what the Lord wants. Now look at verse 6. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. And the volume of the book, it is written to me, to do your will, O Lord. Remember that verse. We mention this a lot. The whole book is about Jesus. Now, we've been going through Ezra on Wednesday nights, and you know one of my little phrases I like to tell you is this. When you read the Old Testament, look for Jesus. He's there. That's what makes the Old Testament so exciting. When you go through and you read Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, and you read all this law, 
And you're like, I don't understand why I need to know about if my ox gores your ox. Start looking for Jesus in it. And when you look for Jesus in it, man, it all comes alive. Verse 7, the whole book is about me. Verse 8, previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, Old Testament law, that he may establish the second, the New Testament that we have. Remember, the idea of testament just means covenant. What happens is this. Jesus is saying the New Testament is the new covenant. It's the new deal God has with us. That through the blood of Jesus we have access into heaven. Verse 10. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus is the fulfillment of this Old Testament sacrificial system that could only cover sins. But Christ is the sacrifice that takes care of all sin. And that's what we're here tonight to talk about. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Because we needed something, a sacrifice, to take away the punishment and penalty of our sin. Would you go with me now to Leviticus chapter 1? And let's talk about that. Now, I love this, I'm telling you right now. I love the first few chapters of the book of Leviticus. The first few chapters of the book of Leviticus are the different offerings. There's five of them. You have a burnt offering, you have a meal offering, you have a peace offering, you have a sin offering, you have a trespass offering. Now, if you just read it, it's, it you're not going to get anything out of it. But when you look for Jesus in it, that's when you're going to see it. And so we're just going to talk about the first offering here tonight. Just the burnt offering and how this is a picture of Christ. Just as Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago is a sacrifice that was given for us. You can see Christ in this sacrifice, where this is really a shadow of Jesus. What did we just read in Hebrews 10? The whole book is about me. So let's find Jesus now in Leviticus chapter 1. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any of you bring an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. So right there you see, You're going to bring an offering to the Lord, a burnt offering. Burnt offering is a total dedication commitment to the Lord. Because what happens is you literally burn the entire offering. The whole animal is sacrificed to the Lord. So when you see burnt offering here in Leviticus 1, think about this. Total dedication, total commitment to the Lord. That's what God is asking of you. That's what Jesus showed us, that he was going to be totally committed to the plan that God had. So what you see here is this. You're supposed to bring something. Verse 2. Please note that you're bringing something from your herd, your flock. You are personally doing this. There's a sacrifice to following Christ. Somehow, some way, over the years, we have watered down the gospel message to this. God just loves you and just wants you to be happy. And we hope you come to church and just come and be blessed. God does love me. God does want me to be blessed. We'd love to see you at church. But Jesus also said that we're sinners and that sin has to be dealt with. There's the eternity of heaven. There's the eternity of hell. And so what happens is I need to decide where I'm going to go and what I'm going to follow. And if I choose to follow Christianity, become a follower of Christ, there is going to be sacrifice in my life. There's going to be a sacrifice of things that I may want to do in my flesh that I now step back and say, that's really not spiritually fruitful, so I don't want to do that. There's a sacrifice of my time where I used to live for myself, where I stop now and say, no, Lord, I want to live for you. 
In some parts of this world, there's a sacrifice of your life. So when it says right here, you're supposed to take it from your herd, your flock, you're going to your animals, your life, your food, your milk, your whatever, and you're saying, I'm going to take that animal and I'm going to make a sacrifice of something for my family. Now, as we get ahead of this a little bit, I'm getting ahead of myself, but you're also picking what? The best of the best. See, in Malachi, one of the things that Malachi got upset about was that the Jews were giving the Lord the worst of the worst. So they were giving them the animal that was crippled. They were giving them the animal that was lame. They were giving the animal that was near death and saying, Lord, this is now yours. God says, I want your best. God does not want your half-hearted effort in following him. Please remember the gospel accounts when the people came up to Jesus and said, I will follow you. And Jesus says, you'll follow me? You'll leave mother and father and follow me? You'll leave your attachments at home and follow me? The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You'll follow me? See, once again, what we try to do now is we try to make Christianity so comfortable. And the truth is, when you read the Gospels, Christianity is narrow. It's difficult. It's tough. Jesus himself said, few will find it. There's going to be a sacrifice. Reminds me of the joke, and I've shared this story with you before, about the farmer that had twins. Not twin kids, please. Twin animals. So he had twin animals, and he decided he was so blessed that he was going to give one of them to the Lord. So he went out one day and noticed that one of the twin animals had died. Came back and told his wife and said, boy, it's really sorry, but God's animal died. You'll get it about 8.30 tonight. Right now it's... Maybe 9 o'clock. You know, just wait to next resurrection service and then we'll talk about that again. We have a tendency to say, Lord, it's yours. But when it becomes too difficult, we stop and say, no, no. Listen, we can sit here on a service like tonight. We can have communion. We can have a great time of worship and fellowship. And we can be moved and we can say, Lord, I want to be yours. I'm giving you everything. Okay, but you got to go home and do it. So there's going to be a sacrifice out of the herd, out of the flock. Now, what does this represent for Jesus? God gave his son, his only son. God made a sacrifice. God set the example. The Lord's not asking you to do something that he's not going to set the tone for. He gave his son. What else do you see in verse 3? If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Please note right there, his own free will. You're not forced to do this sacrifice. Now, there's five sacrifices mentioned here in Leviticus. Certain ones, sin, trespass, etc. There's some requirements. This first one right here, you're not required to do. You're going to go on your own free will to your flocks, pick out your best animal, and just give it to the Lord. You don't get any meat out of it. You don't get any money out of it. You are just saying, Lord, I love you so much. I am so completely dedicated to you. I am so completely committed to you. I am giving you the best of the best. And I'm just going to offer it up as a sacrifice to you. And the whole thing is going to be completely burnt. Wow. See, a lot of times when we give to the Lord, it's like, what do I get out of it? Okay, Lord, I'll get up early and pray, but you better give me a really good day today. Okay, Lord, I'll get up and I'll read the Bible, but as I read the Bible, I want you to remember this, Lord. So therefore, when I go into work... You owe me. What would happen if we just got up one day and said, Lord, it's not about me, it's not about my time, it's not about my life, it's all yours. I just completely dedicate my life, free will, over to you, completely yours. Expecting, asking for nothing in return. Once again, how does this represent Jesus? 
Jesus in the garden, what did he pray? Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus said, it's not about me, it's about you, Lord. Prayed it three times. He said, Lord, I am willing to do your plan, your will, that's what I want. I'm telling you right here, guys, when you stop and you think about what this really means, have we really reached the point of the burnt offering where we have freely given ourselves completely over to him? Completely over to him. You'd get nothing out of this sacrifice. So explain this to the spouse. Honey, I'm going to the temple. I'm taking Billy the ram with me. Why? Did you do something wrong? Do you have to do a sin offering? Nope, not doing anything wrong, honey. I want to do a burn offering. Just because I love the Lord, I'm going to give him everything. What are you going to get out of it? Nothing. The whole thing is going to be burnt. What do the priests get out of it? Nothing. The whole animal is just going to be burnt. Why are you doing it? Because I just love the Lord. Completely dedicated to him. What type of offering did it need to be? Verse 3. Without blemish. You know that's a picture of Jesus' sinlessness and his perfection. Think back to John chapter 1, verse 29, where John the Baptist saw Jesus and he said, The Son of Lamb in whom is there no sin. Peter talked it about as well too, where he called Jesus the Lamb without spot or blemish. Christ lived on this world for 33 years and was sinless and perfect. That's why he could take care of our sin. Because he was the sinless sacrifice to pay the price for us sinners. Verse 4. Then he should put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. You put the hand on. You touch the animal that you are just about to kill. Why? You identify. There's a moment of contact right there. You are identifying with this animal. This animal is a symbolic picture of giving up your life to the Lord. Giving up your life. How is this a picture of Jesus? God became man. He became one of us. Walked the world with us. Understood us. I was just reading in Hebrews today. He was tempted like we were tempted, but not given to sin. He made contact with us. Have you ever read the Gospels and realized how many times Jesus is breaking the rules? He's talking to women with issues of blood that should be outside the camp. He's talking to lepers. He's touching lepers. He's constantly doing things like that. Why? Because he's making contact with sinners because he loves them. Aren't you thankful that you have a God that wants to make contact with us? Now, the question here in verse 4 is, do you want to make contact with the Lord? See, I notice a lot of Christians want a relationship with Christ, but from a distance. They're not looking for a full 100% total commitment. They're really okay with the church every now and then. They're really okay with some devotions every now and then. And they're really okay with being used by the Lord every now and then. But there's a lot of hours of the day where it just doesn't work out. I mean, I'm at work. I got kids. I got life. I got this. This idea of a complete 100% total sacrifice to the Lord. I've even had people come up to me when I talk about that. They'll come up and there's a sense of... I guess a discontentment in their life. And I'm asking them, have you really given it all over to the Lord? And they almost take it personally. Well, what do you mean? Well, I mean, have you really stopped and you said, Lord, it's all yours. You're dying to yourself. Well, I don't really know what that looks like, and I don't know what you expect me to do with that right now. i got a lot going on. we got busy at work, we're busy at home, we're busy with kids. And I just kind of walk away saying, I don't think they're ready for that yet. There's been many times in my life where I don't know if I was ready for that yet. And I still look at my life and I'm saying, Lord, have I really given everything? Do I really look at it no longer as my time but your time? Is it really all yours? 
That's what the sacrifice is. What happens next? Verse 5. He shall kill the bull before the Lord. And the priest Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. That is by the door of the tabernacle, the meeting. What you do is you'd have the priests and the Levites kind of take over at this time. And they would cut the animal up and do pieces. But if you take a look at verse 5 where it says, He shall kill the bull. The Hebrew is a little unknown for sure what it's saying and represents. But if you look in the NIV, the NIV comes straight out and records it as... You're the one killing the animal. You're the one. So you bring Billy the, the sheep with you. You take him to the temple. It's your best one. You take it to the priest. What did you do? Well, this is not a sin offering. It's not a trespass offering. This is a burn offering. Okay, burn offering. So you bring it up to the altar. You put your hand on it. And then you take the knife and you get to cut the jugular. I'm telling you right now, it's a mess. It's a mess. My, my first job outside of working on the farm growing up in the country was working at a meat locker. And one of my jobs at the meat locker was to clean up the kill floor when it was all said and done. So I would go in, watch the animals being butchered, and it was my job to go clean it up and sort through the pieces that were left. It is a mess. It's a mess. We thank the Lord for hoses with water pressure that you just can spray everything down. It kind of looks like in verse 5, one hand's on the head and the other hand's on the throat with a knife. I'm telling you right now, when you really understand what it means to die, you really start to understand what Christ did on the cross. Christ died. And it not just died. He was brutalized. He was beat. He was tortured. The boys were watching a movie about Jesus, and it was a kid's version of it, and it showed Jesus on the cross, and they did, a, they did a good job with it. I mean, obviously, it didn't go into detail. Um, but, man, it was nothing like what they showed there when you really study out what Christ went through. And you stop and you think, well, why do we have to talk about this? I get it. The animal died. I get it. The blood. I get what Jesus went through on the cross. It was awful. It's not a shock value thing. I want you to realize it's a picture of how much God hates sin. He hates it. Sin just completely, utterly destroys your life. And what Jesus went through on the cross is a picture of how much God hates sin. You have to remember what it says in Isaiah 53. It pleased the Lord to chastise him. That Jesus had to go through this punishment. I, I think what happens is we have become desensitized to sin. So those words that slip out every now and then, Ah, oh, yeah, you're right, Lord, I shouldn't say it, I'm sorry. Those thoughts that go through our mind, ah, I need to catch that. That junk I type in online, oh, I probably shouldn't look at that. Words, actions, the little spiteful things we say to people, snapping at people, etc. That is all ugly, disgusting sin that Jesus said, I have to die on the cross for. Never, ever let yourself become desensitized to the horrors of sin. It will destroy you and it will trickle down and destroy your family as well too. The animal has to die. Verse 6. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. Then the priest, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts, the head, and the fat in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash its entrails, its intestines, and its legs with water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice. See, all of it is burnt. An offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. If it is his offering is of the flocks, of the sheep, or of the goats, as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. 
So you see what happens is the animal's cut up, it's put on there. Now, you're going to see here in chapter 1, there's a lot of words that are repeated. If you're ever studying the Bible, especially the Old Testament, you start seeing a word being repeated again and again and again. God's trying to tell you something. Here in Leviticus chapter 1, the word wood is repeated four times. I think that's a picture of the cross. This animal is put on the wood. Jesus was put on the cross. Now, what else do you see here? The word fire is used eight times in this chapter. Fire. See, fire in the Bible is always a picture of judgment. Remember what we read in Hebrews chapter 12. Our God is a consuming fire. See, there's this idea of the animal is now on the wood, the cross. There's a fire now burning up this animal. It's the fire of judgment. The judgment that we deserved for our sins. But you see in verse 9, it's a sweet aroma to the Lord. It goes back to what I said in Isaiah 53. It pleased the Lord to do this. Because now, now, God can really have a relationship with us. Just as we sang a few minutes ago, the veil is torn. I've gone to a lot of surgeries out here at church. And it always is fascinating when you especially see a parent. And they have to have one of their children have surgery. And it can be a very serious surgery. It can be very concerning. And the parents are worked up. They're nervous. They're worried. They're fearful. But as soon as that child goes back... There's a peace. Okay, we're, we're taking steps. We're, we, are, we are making progress. Soon as the doctor comes out and says, the procedure went well, everything is fine, there's usually tears of joy. When can we see him again? When can we see her again? Now, really, what just happened? They just put their kid through a whole lot of pain. And in some of these procedures, the child is going to have a long recovery ahead of them. But the point is this, it was necessary for the child to go through that surgical procedure. It is necessary for the child to feel some pain. It's necessary for the child to have this long recovery to become better in the long run. And what's happening here, why is it a sweet aroma to the Lord? Because God is saying, this is a necessary step to finally take care of sin. And that's why we celebrate this. Because now we can finally have a relationship. A relationship like the Lord wants us to have. Now, what you see here in the rest of the chapter, you see some of the details talked about again. You see about being cut into pieces there in verse 12. It's on the wood. It's on the fire. Verse 13, the entrails being washed with water. Why does God want the intestines washed? Have you, have you really thought about what's going on here? And you may say, well, I, I don't want to think about this. This is gross. Well, you're going to have to think about it now. Okay, just please understand what's going on. You, you don't live right by the tabernacle, I'm assuming. I'm assuming you live a ways away. So once again, you hook up Billy, and you'd walk Billy possibly miles. And your whole time you're hoping, Billy, don't trip, don't fall. Because when you get there, Billy, if there's a spot or a blemish on you, you're out. Jesus walked for this world for 33 years. Guess what? He didn't trip or stumble. So he gets there, passes inspection, you look at Billy, Billy looks at you, you put your hand on Billy's head, and you cut Billy's throat. Blood is now gushing, gushing out. Billy is dying right in front of you, bleeding out because of the knife you just put to his throat. Okay? So you have blood over you, you probably got blood on the priest, blood's on your hands, blood's at your feet, there's blood all over. So Billy finally dies after bleeding out. Now in front of you, the priest says, I'm going to cut Billy up. So now this animal is now cut up into all these pieces. 
And they get to the intestines. That's, that's one of the things I had to do when I worked at the, at the butcher shop, is I had to separate lungs from intestines. Because we had to determine what went into dog food or not. But as they get to the intestines, what do they do? Well, you got the good old Levites there who have buckets of water, and they're now washing the intestines. You're washing them before you burn them. What is the Lord trying to tell us here? The innermost part of your body, God wants it to be clean. The church in America is so good, so good, about on a little bit of time making ourselves look good. We really are. We'll come to church on a Sunday or a Wednesday and we'll fake it for a while. God says, I'm getting past all of that. He goes, I want your heart. I want your intestines washed with water. I want you clean from the inside out. And I'm going to wash that. And then I'm going to sacrifice that. And what happens here at the end of Leviticus chapter 1, you could have a bull, you could have a goat, you could have a sheep, and even at the end, you could have a bird. Now, I don't know about you, if I'm back three, 4,000 years ago and I'm offering up a burnt offering and God has given me the chance to offer a bull, a goat, a sheep, or a bird, which one are you choosing? I'm choosing a bird. I'm sending one of my boys out to go catch a sparrow. Now, why would God give us that option? You could sit here and say, well, because it's God's choice of how deep you want to go. I'm only going the bird depth. No, I think when you look at it, it's depending on where you're at financially. So therefore, the sacrifice is equal to whatever level you're at. So you're blessed with a lot. God's still asking for your best bull. You don't have as much as everybody else. You have goats and sheep. God says, I want your best goat or sheep. You barely got enough money to provide for your family. God says, just bring me a bird then. He's not trying to break the bank. He's going to meet you where you're at. He's going to ask for total dedication. See, the Lord does the same for us. I sometimes look at what other people are going through and their quote-unquote sacrifice. And to me, it's a bird. It's like, you're, you're really worked up about that? That's your, that's your big problem right now. Or I look at their sacrifice and it's like, oh, tell me how much you love Jesus. Oh, you brought a bird. Well, you really have a depth in your walk in relationship with Christ. I'm bringing bulls and you're bringing birds. But then I can talk to other people and they can walk away and say, this is James. He's supposed to be the pastor. Looks like he's offering up a lot of birds. He doesn't see what I'm doing. See, it, it's all relative to where you're at. Things I struggle with, you may look at me and say, I don't realize or understand how that's a struggle for you. Things you struggle with, maybe I don't fully see, but you know what the Lord does? And He meets you where you're at, and He asks you, bring the bull, bring the goat, bring the sheep, bring the bird. The only thing He asks you in verse 9 and verse 13, bring all of it. Bring everything. And then what He's also asking in verses 9 and verse 13, He goes, make sure the inside is clean. Because that's what matters. Last passage, can you go with me to Psalm 139, please? Bob, if you haven't left yet, you can go get the rest of the kids here for communion. Psalm 139. What do we do with communion? We stop and we talk about how our insides look. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. See, we're going to get ready to start communion here in just a little bit. 
as we get ready to start communion, is a time for you to stop and to say, Lord, I am yours. You know, Paul, when he's talking about this, he says we do this in remembrance of Christ. Remembrance of Christ. Jesus set this up at what is commonly known as the Last Supper. And this is the one thing he asks us to keep doing in remembrance of him. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to remember his death on the cross. And he asks us as we get ready to eat of this and to partake of this. And parents, the older kids are going to be coming in here in a little bit. We leave it up to you to make sure that you understand whether your child is old enough to understand and grasp communion. And we also have an open communion policy out here. We don't have church membership. If you're here tonight and you're part of the body of Christ, we want you to partake of this. Now, it's at this point that we need to do two things. Number one, if you're here tonight and you're not part of the body of Christ, and what I mean by that is you're not born again, you're not saved, today is the day of salvation. Because the truth is, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. Truth is, there's a heaven and there's a hell. If you're here tonight and you've never stopped and understood what Christ did for you on the cross and understood how his death takes away your sin, that means if you would die tonight, you're going to hell. And I love you and I don't want you to do that. Please understand what we are talked about tonight is a picture of Jesus saying, I will step on that cross and take the sacrifice for you. I will pay the penalty what you owe, what you owe through my blood. Because as we said back in Hebrews, blood has to cover sins. With my blood, I will pay the price and the penalty for it. Today is the day of salvation. If you're here tonight and you are saved, please understand what this is. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. This is out of 1 Corinthians 11. Let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. This is why I read you that verse out of Psalm 139. Search me and try me, O Lord, and see if there's any iniquity in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. This is a time for us to come to the Lord as believers and say, Lord, I am struggling with these sins. You said it is finished. Romans 6, you said I'm dead to sin. You you said I can walk victorious in you. The tomb is empty. But Lord, I'm losing the battle right now. Help me. And this is the time to confess to him. I don't know what it is. Is it laziness? Is it lust? Is it pride? I don't know. But today is the day to say, Lord, this is yours. And if you don't even know, That's why we pray Psalm 139. Lord, you search me and try me. You tell me the problems that I'm struggling with. You get to the innermost being, those entrails that need washed. And Lord, you take care of it. So as the kids are coming in here, we're going to have a time of quietness as we go to the Lord. And I'm going to encourage you to take that to the Lord and to say, Lord, examine me. Let's pray. Lord, your word says that right now we're supposed to examine ourselves before we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, and that's what we're going to do right now. This is a time of confession. We want to be the burnt offering, totally dedicated, committed to you and all that we say and do. Thank you, Lord, for setting the example for us. Thank you for taking away our sins. And now, Lord, we give it to you. In the name of Jesus, we come to you now with a heart. Search us. Try us. Just quietly go before the Lord now and give it over to him.
Lord, at this time, it's so easy to feel overwhelmed, maybe even to feel condemned. But Lord, your word says there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. And as we partake of communion, we remember you. Thank you. Let this be a time Let this be a time of somber celebration, Lord. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. If the men that are helping with communion would please come forward, and if the worship team would please come forward.